Today we're going to read a sizable, a sizable portion of this chapter. And it's one of those chapters where you really just got to read. And in many respects, I don't think you would read uh, if it wasn't you being here today. And now, uh, a lot of people who read quotes or passages in Jeremiah will stop in Jeremiah 29. <laughs> They'll land there and they'll stop there and then that's kind of it. Uh, over the last few weeks, I've continued to read, and I do like to do this because as you read portions of Scripture, it's so important to read it within its context. I mean, just like you can't drop into somebody's life and they give you one comment and you can't know all about them through that one comment, you have to know the history behind the comment, right? And such, as we read Scripture, there are chapters where you really got to understand it in its context. Jeremiah 29, when it says God knows the plans that He has for us to give us a hope and a future, that He wants to uh, our welfare, that you need to understand in the context of everything that He's doing and how God's people are receiving that prophecy of Jeremiah in light of all of the other, other contradictory voices that were out there. Hopefully you got a gist of that these last few weeks. So in Jeremiah 31, this prophecy is continuing and God is just continuing to speak to His people through the, the voice of Jeremiah. And He's saying, 70 years time as, he, as we've read about, you're going to be in Babylon and you're not going to come back before that. He's got a plan for this and know that God sent you here. And we've talked about this, how that must have landed on deaf ears. How it was so difficult to receive that, like, I want to go back. I don't want my grandchildren seven decades later to go back home. I want to be back in my homeland. That must have been the way the people received it. And as we read the passage today, it's going to come to light. Okay, We'll start in verse 1 of chapter 31 in this prophecy of Jeremiah. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Okay, and so God's been prophesying 70 years, I'll bring you back, and He's talking about a lot of stuff. And I'll let you know that the, the families of Israel, that they're my people. You, capital P, are my people, right? And thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword. I wish I could read that lightly and just pass over that, but you can't. That to me is a half of a sentence in Scripture that is gruesome. God's saying, like, there are people that did not survive the sword. Like, there will be people in these 70 years that will die a gruesome death. And in their estimation, did not deserve to die. They worshipped, they called on my name, but yet they still died and there was a grave with their bones in it. But I want you to know that there are some that survived the sword. Okay? And so there's people that didn't and there's people that did. And he's speaking to the people that survived. And you can imagine the heartache for the survivor. Have you ever survived a loved one? Have you ever been on the better half of devastation? Yes, you are happy to be alive and be well and have things still within your possession, but you remember, you think about those that lost, especially if those people that lost meant something to you. And so when God says to the people, if you survive the sword and are hearing this prophecy, I want you to know you're likely grieving people that didn't survive. So you got to understand that when you read that part of a sentence, that there is another half of it that is oh so dark to the recipient. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword, those people 
found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when it went to find its rest. The Lord appeared to him from afar. Now, again, you want to say like, when somebody appears from afar, you can't see him. You want God to appear when he's close and you want him to feel like he's close. But I appeared to Israel from afar and from that place that seemed so distant, it said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And you know, I mean, I'm going to stop as we read because we're going to read a sizable portion. There are moments where there are people that love us from afar and they sincerely love us, but we can't feel it. Sometimes parents have to love us from afar. Sometimes there are people that do things for our benefit, but they do it from such a distance that we cannot feel their affection. But because of the distance, it does not negate the love. And there are times when God loves us. And the ripple effect doesn't quite get to our presence. It doesn't quite reach us. And in those moments when we question, does God really love me? God saying, you know, I was far away when I said it, but I want you to know that there is an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Now he begins to draw us close, you see. He was far away with that everlasting love and he's beginning to draw him close. Again, I will build you and you shall be rebuilt. O virgin of Israel, again you shall take up your tambourines and go forth to the dances of the merrymakers. Again, you shall plant vineyards. On the hills of Samaria, the planters shall plant and shall enjoy them. For there shall be a day when watchmen on the hills of Ephraim shall call out, Arise and let us go up to Zion, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and shout among the chiefs of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I am bringing them from the north country and I will gather them from the remote parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the woman with child and she who is in labor with child together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come. And by supplication I will lead them. I will make them walk by the streams of waters and on a straight path in which they shall not stumble, for I am a father to Israel and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare in the coastlands afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him who was stronger than he, and they shall come and shout for joy on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the bounty of the Lord, over the grain and the new wine and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd, and their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. Then the virgin shall rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together for I will turn their mourning into joy and I will comfort them and give them joy for their sorrow and I will fill the soul of the priests with abundance and my people shall be satisfied with goodness 
declares the Lord. You see, this is the narrative changing now. God is saying, I'm going to turn things. You, you knew that or you felt that I was afar. I'm going to draw you in. You're going to sing once again. You're going to dance once again. You're going to give birth once again. It's going to be a happy story. And I want you to know that I am your father. But interestingly, let's read from verse 15. This is how God heard His people in the midst of this situation. Thus says the Lord, A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel, here, this refers to Israel, God's people. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. These are the ones that didn't survive the sword. And you got a mother, so to speak, weeping for her children and she refuses to have joy even though God brings them back to the land because she's thinking about the children she lost. Thus says the Lord, Restrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, declares the Lord. And they shall return from the land of the enemy. And there is hope for your future, declares the Lord. And your children shall return to their own territory. I have surely heard Ephraim Grievin. Uh, you have chastised me and I was chastised like an untrained calf. Bring me back that I may be restored. For you are the Lord my God. Let's skip to verse 21. Set up for yourself road marks, God says. Place for yourself guideposts. Direct your mind to the highway, the way by which you went. Return, O virgin of Israel, return to these cities. How long will you go here and there, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. I'm going to stop. Hopefully you get what's happening here just from reading the set of verses that we did. To backtrack once again, Israel in Babylon against their will forced into oppression, most likely slavery. We know many have died and we know that they were there against their will and they were unhappy. Jeremiah is the only voice, the only prophet amongst many that was saying that this exile will be long. Everybody else was saying it's going to be short. Jeremiah stands as the hated prophet and he speaks a word they did not want to hear that it's going to take 70 years before you get back home. And in the midst of this prophecy, he turns the page and he says, God is afar, but I want you to know His love is everlasting and He's not going to be far for long. He's going to draw you close. The song is going to change. The verse is going to change. The chorus is going to change. And I want you to know that He'll bring you back to the city and He's going to turn mourning into joy and there will be dancing once again. But in the midst of this message that Jeremiah is preaching, he continues to look forward into the hearts of the people that are hearing this message and a prophecy comes out, there is a, a daughter of Israel and she refuses to be comforted. 
because she's looking to the past and she cannot see the future. This message, survival, grace, and new things, hopefully will, will bring the heart of this chapter that we are reading into your lives and make some parallels for you. Like, how are we Israel? Like, when are the seasons of exile in Babylon for us? How have we refused to be comforted by things that God is giving us? And we said, God, I don't want that new thing. I want the old one. Like, when is that us? And I hope you can draw those parallels and begin to apply that to yourself. Because there is something that happens here. What we must know is that when God opens doors, it is always preceded by Him closing ones. Right? Like, if He's going to open a door, it will be preceded by Him closing others. Right? And so I'm going to talk about a, a few things today. The first thing that I'll, I'll say is this, that God gives grace in the wilderness. In the wilderness. That is a place where God gives, He bestows grace to His people. And from this first main point, there's two things that, that you need to latch on to. The first thing is this, is that He leads us into a wilderness. Right? That He leads us into a wilderness. This cannot be escaped. That those who do not want to travel through a wilderness do not understand how God leads our lives. Right? That if we say, God, like the wilderness, yes, it's uncomfortable. I don't want to go there. I'm praying that I would escape the wilderness. That those who do not want to travel through a wilderness in their lives do not understand how God leads us. And how He grows our character. That's the first thing though. That we're going to travel through a wilderness. The second thing we, we need to understand from this point is that God gives grace when we need it. Right? That scripture promises a couple of things, right? In 1 Corinthians it says, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation provide a way of escape also so that you'll be able to endure it. Right? And so it's talking about our breaking point, that God understands that. Right? That if you are an elastic band and you take one and you keep on pulling it, you realize this has flexibility, elasticity to it, and it has bendability. Right? And that's our human nature. We can endure suffering. We can go through hard we can have seasons of lack when we really are in a valley and we have that tenacity. We have the ability to stretch ourselves for periods of time, to go without sleep, to meet a deadline, to endure loss because we are created with that flexibility. Right? We can endure that. But also when you take this band and you stretch it 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 and if you keep on stretching it, it reaches a point where it will snap. And once a rubber band snaps, you cannot then refasten it to its former position. And God understands that. That if we are that band that is stretching, like, God, I can't bear my career or my job or, or these people or this circumstance or this loss or this grieving or this depression or, or this hardship or this and that. And we're saying, God, I can't bear it. And God is looking at His, at his children. He says, you know what? I see you, my son and my daughter. I know this is hard. This is a part of my plan. I've placed it in your life. And I want you to know that I will not bring you to the place where you'll snap. I'll surround you with the community. I'll give you timely words. You'll understand my presence. I'll give you peace in the midst of chaos. 
I'll allow you to love when all you know is hatred. And I see you, and I'm not going to bring you to that point where you cannot return. And that's God's promise to us. Now, the severity of what each and every one of us are capable of handling is different. It is unique to us. I can't look at somebody else and say, you know what, they endured that, so I should be able to endure it. Because my breaking point might be shorter. But I want you to know that God sees that, that He's that personal, and He knows each one's point of snapping. And He says, I'm not going to take you beyond that. I might take you right to it, but I won't take you beyond, beyond it. And you'll be able, and the key word is endure. Be able to go through, not around, not backtracking. You'll get through it, and you'll endure it. That when we are in a wilderness, He does not abandon us to flounder. And one of the greatest Psalms, right? Psalm 23. The fourth verse of that says, Even though I walk, where? Through the valley. What kind of valley? A valley of a shadow and where there's death. That when I'm going through this low point in my life, when I'm when I have everything to fear and everything is casting long, dark shadows over me, I fear no evil because you are with me. And you have a rod to discipline me and you have a staff like a shepherd to lead me. And with these two sticks, it provides me comfort. See, the discipline and leadership of God in our lives should provide us comfort. When it's only like the staff is going to lead us to these places. That's just a half picture. Because God also carries a rod. This rod is for our good. This rod is to keep us in line. This rod is to make sure that we understand God's heart. And He teaches us good things through this rod. When we misinterpret the rod, we begin to despise God. We begin to reject and run away. But when we see the rod in proper light with the staff, we understand that it's meant to comfort us, to lead us to good places. And when we are in a valley, feeling abandoned, lost and cold, God says, I'm with you. This is the, the, the psalmist's promise and understanding of the character and presence of God. And because you're with me, even though evil is real, right? even though I know evil surrounds me like that, person is evil. This situation is evil. The devil is crouching, ready to pounce on my life. Evil is real. Even though that be the case, I don't have to fear it because God is with me. And so yes, God leads us into a wilderness, but the promise of God is that He will give grace to those that are in it. And so the prophecy from Jeremiah, you know, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Right? They found grace in the wilderness. What a powerful phrase. I think this is a, a phrase that we, we can see its poetic value, but we don't like it because we don't like the wilderness. The grace part we like, the wilderness we don't. But he's saying that you survived the sword. You got blood on your hands. You are running and your feet are calloused. You are afraid and shuddering, but you are in a place. And I want you to know that in this dried, rocky, wilderness place, you're going to feel my presence. 
you're going to find timely grace. And then somehow there's going to be a distant light, this Lord that is from afar, showering us with love, that we're going to begin to see it draw closer and closer and closer. And you're going to be able to recognize that light is God, that love is His. And then the script begins to change. It's now more than survival. You know, that God is not calling us as His people just to survive life. But it's more than survival. And we'll also find out that it's more than just finding grace in a wilderness. Like surviving and then like just being okay with the wilderness. That that's not the end of the story yet either. But survival and grace... These are things that God's people will endure and experience. And what this leads us into in this chapter is this. And this is the second main point. The Lord creates new things. That, That He creates things that are new in our lives. Right? And I can, I can understand the prophecy to Rachel here, right? I can understand this, that Rachel is weeping for her children. Why wouldn't she? She lost something dear to her. Her children whom she loved and brought into this world are no more. There is a grave and a stone with their children's name on it and she is crying and thinking, I want my kids back. I understand that. If you've ever lost a good thing, if you've ever lost a dear one or a good job or a possession, like... I want the one that I had, right? That I can replace it, but it's just not the same, right? Have you ever felt that? I have, right? I think we all have, that we lost something dear to us and we just can't replace it. And we're like living in the past, wanting to go back there, reclaim that, just walk in that place once again and saying, I just wish I was back there. It was so much better then. Has that script ever gone through your mind? This is Rachel. This is Israel. All right, Jeremiah, you're saying in 70 years' time we're going to be back. There's going to be new children. There's going to be dancing. But I don't want those children. I want my old ones. That's Rachel here. She refused to be comforted. She refused to receive this prophetic word from Jeremiah saying, "Uh Ah, that's not good for me. Like, you think that's going to encourage me? That's not what I want. Give me back what I had. Give me a resurrection, not something new. This is Israel. And so the prophecy, God, there's hope for you still, he's saying. Ephraim, I hear you grieving. You're saying that God, you chastised me, and that's correct. I want you to know that. But there's a future here. And so in verse 21, this prophecy set up for yourself road marks because you're wandering here. Your mind is going everywhere. Put a road mark, put a stake in the ground and I want you to know that you've traveled here before. Right? Put a road mark in. Place for yourself guideposts. Direct your mind to the highway. The way by which you went and returned. Get back to your homeland. Return to these cities, your cities. How long will you go here and there, O faithless daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing. 
I hope that sits with you today. Like, if you're stuck on an old thing, can I just say get past it? Like, if you're living in what was, and you can't get to what is or what will be because you want what was, like, you just got to get past it. And God's saying, like, there's a new thing that I'm doing in the earth. Like, it's, it's going to be good. And I want you to know I'm setting the stage for the new thing with the old thing. And the old thing was a part of the new thing, but the old thing is not the new thing. So stop rejecting the new thing and wanting the old thing. It's a complicated story, isn't it? But this is what God is saying to Israel. And we must not get stuck on what we had in a way that blinds us to what God wants to give. And what I wrote for you on the insert or the pastor side of your uh, bulletin, where we've been is not the place we were meant to stay. Like get that in your gut and spirit today. That where we've been is not the place we were meant to stay. Where we've been, it's a stepping stone to where we're going. And where we're going is a stepping stone to where we'll be next. The chapters turn. And they don't repeat. There might be similarities. But we need to get beyond it. You know a powerful example of this? You know the story of the exodus of Israel, right? Israel is enslaved for four centuries in Egypt. They're crying out, God, this is unbearable. They're not even given a straw to make these bricks. Our taskmasters, they're whipping us and we don't like this. We want freedom. We are your People, deliver us. This is the prayer going out to God. All right? And then God hears the cry of His people and He raises up a deliverer by the name of Moses and through a staff, these plagues are coming into the land and Pharaoh finally breaks and says, Be gone! Take the people and go! A million plus people walk out with joy, singing in wagons and children and livestock. They plundered the Egyptians and they're going out. As they're marching out anywhere but Egypt, they're just going out and as they're walking, they're going places and Moses is in the front and he's leading the way and God is leading Moses and they find themselves at a place with a pinned against the sea and yet God still delivers them. And then after going through a sea, engulfing all the army of the Egyptians, they're living and free on the other side. And they go into a Sinai wilderness. God gives them some laws and commandments, and yet they still come here. But in this parched, dry land, their throats begin to wither. Their bellies are aching, and they're crying out to God again, God, you just delivered us. You gave us all freedom, but we need food. We need water, right? And there are times when God provided, whether it be through the manna, this, this flaky substance on the ground every morning, or the giving of birds, or the rock water that came forth in its spring. 
But in the moments when they felt hungry and thirsty and the days became weeks, they cried out and people would say, you know what, Moses, did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? I wish we were back in Egypt. I wish we were back there. At least we had food in our tummies back then. Like, Moses, you're, 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 a, you're a crappy leader, right? We don't like this anymore. We don't want this new land, this promise. We want to go back to Egypt. We were comfortable there. Yes, we cried out then, but at least we were fed. We know where we were sleeping. What is this? We got nothing here, right? Give us the old thing back, not the new one. And there was a revolt in the wilderness to the point where they started to build this own idol in the absence of Moses. This tendency or desire to find comfort in old things at the expense of experiencing new things, I think is something that happens to all of us. And so again, as you read this passage and as you consider what happened here in this chapter 31, what are the parallels for you? Right? What are the parallels? The enemy of great, you might have heard some sort of iteration of this. The enemy of great is not bad. The enemy of great is good. When you're so like comfortable with good, you don't yet experience the great, because you're latched on. I, I just I'm, I like the good. This is good. I don't need to change anything. And God wants to give us a great story, and we're comfortable just living in the good one. God wanted to bring Israel to a land of promise, and they're like, you know what? Um, there were th- some things I didn't like, but as I think back now, it was better than the wilderness here. It was good back there. Weeping for my children. I know I might get new children. They'll have new names, but I, I mean, my, my old ones were good. I love them. And I think this can come into our lives time and time again. I'm going to close by reading just the end of this chapter, a few verses here. You guys can come back, praise team. And I'll end with just one point. In verse 27 of chapter 31, the, the word of Jeremiah it begins to talk about why God was doing all of this. Like, why Babylon? Why the exile? Why this period of purging, right? And he's saying in verse 27, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of beasts. And it will come about that I, will, um, that I, as I've watched over them, to pluck up, to break down, to overthrow, to destroy, and to bring disaster, so I will watch over them to build and to plant. Right? And so he's saying, I'm going to break... I'm going to pluck, I'm going to overthrow, I'm going to destroy, I'm going to bring disaster. That's what God is saying. But I'm doing this to build and to plant, right? I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to just unearth for a second because I want to put something else in the ground. 
And if you continue reading in this chapter why he's doing this, verse 31, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant which I will make to the house of Israel after these days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is the ultimate desire of God. What he's saying is before Moses had these tablets, these commandments, and it was this external thing that just hovered over your life. Right? And the, your forefathers broke these Ten Commandments, Jeremiah is saying. And what God wants to do now is to take it off of the tablets of stone and to put it in your heart. He wants to internalize it. He wants to get so close to you that it's inside of you. It is not this outward law, it is an internal one. And I want to be your God and I want you to be my people. And the ultimate desire of God through what is happening through this purging is that God wants to get closer. And that's where we end today. That God ultimately just wants to come close. That He'll build a temple and dwell there and speak to His people in between a mercy seat on this Ark of the Covenant, but the temple's not good enough. He'll wrap Himself in human flesh. He'll walk with us, eat with us, speak to us, teach us. That's the incarnation. That's closer than a temple. But He's saying, you know what? This human flesh thing, walking the earth with you, that's still not close enough. Jesus gives His life. And He's saying, it's a good thing that I'm going to go to the Father. Because once I get up to the Father, I'm going to send my Spirit. And that Spirit's going to live inside of you now. You thought it was good that I was with you, speaking to you? Wait till you get this. My Spirit will come in you and teach you all things. I'll get that close. Like, this is the heart of God, isn't it? Like, temple? Great, huh? You know, God speaks to us. He's not just in the throne room in heaven. He dwells in this structure. Like, we see His Shekinah cloud of glory over this box. Like, that's close. Thank you, God, for coming down in your presence. And then He comes, human flesh, bumps shoulders with us. God, you're eating with us. Thank you. And then, like, He just sits with us. This is the heart of God. And this is what he was doing even in the Old Testament through the prophecy of Jeremiah. This 70 years is tough. I know it. But I want you to know that these 70 years will put you on your knees. That you're going to come back to your homeland with supplication. (laughs) You're going to be weeping on the road back. Because I'm going to break pride in you. Your forefathers who couldn't keep the external law. Aha. I'm going to put it inside of you now. And I want you to know that I am not just a God who loves you from afar. I'm going to come close. And it's this complete nature of God as He leads us. So can I leave you with that statement today? God wants to come close. That if you feel like you're in a Babylon, if you feel like you're weeping for old things, I want you to know that even loss can be for our good devastation and disaster, being plucked up of what was so good, that can be for our good because He's building a new thing in the earth. 
And once that new thing is built, guess what? He's yet still going to build a new thing in the earth. Let's never get comfortable with what we have or had. And let's seek God for new things. Amen?